laying out the plan for your second dose. And I'm asking you, please, do not call the pharmacies. We are working it through. What to expect for round two and which vaccine is right for you. Trauma passed down through each generation. We're all saying that as each day goes by, it's actually getting harder. The long healing process for Indigenous communities and how a simple street name can bring back the pain. And another ambulance horror story. I was working on my laptop at home when I heard a large bang. A terrifying wait for the victim of a car crash. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Dub Barrel good news today for people who got the AstraZeneca vaccine as their first COVID-19 shot. Not only is the government shrinking the interval between first and second shots, AstraZeneca recipients can choose any vaccine for their second dose. Richard Zussman reports. To get AstraZeneca or to not get AstraZeneca, when it comes to second doses, it's now your choice. It is a personal choice. Um, both of these are equally good options. The province announcing Thursday substantial changes for those who received Astra as a first dose. A second dose can now come as early as eight weeks after the first, and it could be either AstraZeneca or Pfizer or Moderna. But studies found mixing and matching could have some side effects. They found that if you had a different vaccine for your second dose, you were more likely to have side effects that included a sore arm and a fever and achiness and feeling kind of blah for a couple of days. None of the serious side effects. More than 280,000 people have received AstraZeneca. Dr. Henry providing the guidance as people grapple with the choice. It's a challenging question, and I've been asked that by my family members who received AstraZeneca. And it, what is becoming clear is that uh, the, the risk of uh, the rare risk of blood clots is less, considerably less, uh, for dose two. Eight weeks after that first shot, AstraZeneca recipients will receive two notifications. One from the pharmacy where they receive the shot and a second from the province to book Moderna or Pfizer through a mass clinic. Our basic principles of, of vaccines is that you should get the second dose with the same vaccine that you had your first dose. And that's what I would be uh, most comfortable with. What the province doesn't want you to do is contact your pharmacy. They will contact you as early as Monday. As for which vaccine will actually be available first? It may be that the most expeditious way to receive your second dose is directly from the pharmacy. The province is right now getting the AstraZeneca vaccine to those pharmacies. And the decision may come down to a mantra we have all now been hearing for a long time. Take the first shot offered. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's take a look at today's numbers now. We have 199 new cases. That brings BC's total to 144,866, with 2,563 of those cases currently active. 224 people are in hospital, with 62 in the ICU. Two more people have died from complications of the virus, both of them in their 60s. Keith Baldry joins us live from Victoria with more on the variants of concern. Uh, Keith, mm -hmm. especially the B1617 variant, that's now known as the Delta variant, mm -hmm. which we first saw in India. It's considered a bit of a wild card. 
Yeah, so the World Health Organization has changed the names of the variants uh, to make it less country identifiable. So, yeah, Delta is the one originally uh, discovered in India. Uh, report just came down in terms of the latest numbers. Not a big number associated with that Delta variant in BC. The increase was significant, 43% more from week to week. But again, less than 700, less than 800 cases here. 85% of all the cases right now are considered variants of concern. Dr. Bonnie Henry was asked about this today. She's not overly concerned by what she's seen because the even though we're seeing more variants of a concern, they're not translating into more cases or more hospitalizations. Here's Dr. Henry. We're not seeing it replace the more common ones that we are seeing, which are alpha, the V1.1.7, and, uh, and the P1. Um, those are still the more common that we are seeing. Um, as, we, as we know, as cases are coming down, uh, the numbers and the, of each of these are decreasing. Now, of course, it doesn't mean public health is ignoring these variants. Uh, the Delta variant is causing havoc in the Peel region of southern Ontario, a big reason why schools remain shut there. And it's even caused the United Kingdom to rethink some of its reopening plans or its, uh, its vaccination strategy because it's really running rampant in that country as well. But again, the, good, the numbers are, are more modest here uh, in BC, and let's hope it, it stays that mm -hmm. way. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. The superintendent of Surrey Schools is reporting good news about COVID-19 among his district staff. Exposures and transmissions are dropping dramatically. As Aaron MacArthur reports, teachers are also happy, but say they're not out of the woods yet. The vaccination numbers continue to roll on. And in BC's hardest hit school district, the effects are easy to see. At the peak of the third wave, there were two dozen school exposure notices every day. Now that number is in the single digits. Superintendent Jordan Tinney tweeted the chart Thursday morning. It's not just vaccines of our staff, right? The, the cases in our schools have mirrored the cases in our community, and you see the provincial numbers. So, Surrey teachers agree the trend looks great, but there are still exposure notices. There are still people forced into self-isolation. This week, since Monday, it's only Thursday today, we've had 24 early notification letters, one class sent into isolation, and 110 other individuals, staff and students, sent into self-isolation. So it's not nothing. It's been a long school year. Teachers are burned out. Kids have borne the brunt of limited social contact. But in BC, students are still learning in class. A group of public health doctors have put their names to an open letter highlighting the low risk of transmission in schools and the importance of keeping classrooms open. This is absolutely what we were hoping to see. We knew that that was a, an area where we had a lot of transmission and that was reflected as well in, in the transmission in schools and in other settings. Plans are already well underway for the September school start. And while safety protocols will still be around, the hope his next school year looks a lot more like it's supposed to. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. As the Tekemloops Taste Equipment try to process the discovery of the remains of 215 children, all of Canada is now learning more about the phenomenon of intergenerational trauma and its huge impact on many Indigenous communities. Nithu Gattacher reports on how one Kamloops-based Indigenous-run facility is trying to help the healing. But it hit hard. A week after it was announced, the Kamloops Residential School discovery packs a painful punch. 
<laughs> Sorry, it's just we're all saying that as each day goes by, it's actually getting harder. Um, so, sorry. The executive director of Kikikyaka Place of Belonging says the child welfare system is failing indigenous children and this one-of-a-kind youth and elder housing facility is a solution because it promotes healing rather than perpetuating trauma that runs generations deep. The rates of homelessness, uh, chronic addictions, mental health, incarceration, death is, it, it's alarming. It's, it's, unex it's just unacceptable. She says the government-owned 31-unit centre, which opened less than a year ago, doesn't have an age-out-of-care philosophy and ensures those living here are represented and remember their cultural lineage. First Nations people know what they need. They need to lead and develop their services. The children and grandchildren are at greater risk for uh, psychological dist distress, so symptoms of anxiety and depression, compared to those Indigenous families who were not affected by the residential school system. Researchers at Dalhousie University have found there are biological impacts to a person's stress response system from trauma, which many of those living with it want to be trusted with tackling. We have the solutions, but the thing is, is we, we didn't create this and it can't just be left to us to fix it all. And, um, you know, if there's a gift out of this, it's uh, those um, 215 little children, um, their lives have created this awakening. Nitu Garcha, Global News. And a reminder, there is a 24-hour support line set up for survivors of the residential school system. If you or someone you know needs help, the number to call is on your screen, 1-866-925-4419. Trutch Street on Vancouver's west side could soon be getting a new name. The street is named after Joseph Trutch, B.C.'s first lieutenant general, who was a racist who played a significant role in oppressing First Nations people. Jordan Armstrong reports on the move to rename the street and what that means for homeowners and businesses. We're going to put a letter in support of the uh, changing of the name. This yeah. is the Musqueam Reserve, and the people here have been talking about the harm of a name like Trutch for a long time. We're only five minutes away from that street, so... You know, our grandfather, father and all them, they had some really hard feelings about what that happened at that time and to have streets named after him was very upsetting to them. Joseph Trutch, B.C.'s first lieutenant governor, who died in 1904, was considered an extreme racist, even for his era. The comments that he made referred to First Nations people as ugly, savages. Trutch Street runs between 18th and 1st Avenues on Vancouver's west side, the unceded traditional territories of the Musqueam people. It's definitely very triggering to have uh, such a racist, well-known street in our neighborhood. This woman, who's Cree, runs a business, steps away from Trutch. I think that is a very small morsel of change, for sure, changing the name Trutch. Here's what some of her neighbors think. I'm 100% for renaming that street, yeah. But you got to do it everywhere then. You start digging in every name of every street. We live close to McDonald Street. Was that named after Johnny McDonald? And 
but we changed that. The mayor of Vancouver wants Trutch to disappear, saying, quote, that's why I will be bringing forward a motion at the next council meeting to have the name changed. There have been calls to do this for at least a decade, and it's long past time to act. Victoria also has a Trutch Street, but maybe not for much longer. We're proposing to name it Truth Street, just remove the C and call it Truth Street. Uh, and I think it's very a very real possibility. Now, critics point out that renaming a street isn't cheap. There would be a cost for changing signs, addresses, land titles, and stationery. It's upsetting when you hear that there's going to be cost to it because uh, we've been paying the price for 150 years and uh, for a minor uh, street change sign is, uh, to me, it's not very much of a cost. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A trucker from West Kelowna is organizing a large convoy from Kelowna to Kamloops to show support to the community. This all started with just an idea, just throwing out the call. And I didn't honestly expect it to happen the way this, this did. Mike Otto posted the idea on Facebook, and he's had a huge response from all over the province. He says he expects hundreds of big rigs on the route at the convoy's peak. We have logging trucks, we have a fire truck coming, uh, we have pilot cars that are going to help us kind of get through the traffic. Uh, we actually have school buses coming. The convoy will start in Kelowna at 8 o'clock Saturday morning at the Chevron card lock. Drivers will also be meeting in Merritt and 150 Mile House and joining in along the way. After nearly two years, the federal government finally released its plan on how it plans to deal with violence, racism and disproportionate deaths of Indigenous women and girls. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speaking this morning along with other Indigenous leaders via Zoom. The PM says the calls by First Nations leaders have been heard and his government is invested in initial two, sorry, an additional $2.2 billion this year on top of the $18 billion already committed to help improve Indigenous people's lives and advance reconciliation. The National Inquiry released 231 calls for justice in its final report two years ago. Today, with the launch of the plan, we're taking a step forward together to make the transformative change necessary to end this national tragedy. To the survivors and families, we are so grateful for your leadership. We will continue to work with you to make sure your voices are heard and to end the violence and the abuse. We have some breaking news for you now. A tragic end to the search for a Chilliwack woman who went missing more than four months ago. Shailene Bell was reported missing at the end of January. Her family says the 23-year-old's car was found along with her cell phone and other belongings. She was the mother of two small boys and police now say her body was found on Wednesday in the Fraser River near Coquitlam. There is no evidence of foul play in her death although the B.C. Coroner Service is investigating. Bell's family issued a statement thanking everybody for their concern, help, and the community involvement in all of the searches and fundraising. We are now hearing from members of a family who say they were targeted in a violent incident at a Fraser Valley campsite. According to RCMP, on Sunday, May 23rd, they were informed that members of a group camping at Chehalis Lake were shooting at a family with a pellet gun. 
the situation escalated with one man pulling a machete on the mother and allegedly holding it to her neck. The family fled the area and reported the incident to police. Nine days later, police released this photo of the suspects. This individual came out of nowhere, pulled a machete out and put it against my throat. At that point, I just like put my hands up between it and I pushed it away. And then everybody, all the other campers around, they came rushing down because we were kind of positioned. Um, we were on the bottom and everybody else could look down. So they came rushing over and pushed him away. And uh, my fiance pulled me back and we went, went back and we just started packing. And we said, we're getting out of here. If you recognize the men in the photo or their camping setup, you're asked to call Agassi RCMP at 604-796-2211. A double amputee who feels like the system failed him. Pack your bags, you're out at 1030. Proud carpenter Kevin Grant lost his lower limbs to an infection. How the hospital sent him on his way after surgery, even though he had no permanent home. Next on the News Hour. Some incredible timing caught on camera. The welcome visitors who showed up at a memorial to honor children lost in the residential school system. Later. Also tonight, a cold shower for the Bloedel Conservatory. Why firefighters were called in. That's coming up on the news hour. Right now, though, a double amputee feels like the system has failed him after being released from hospital with no stable place to live. Kevin Grant has been in care for about a month, but as Ted Chernecki reports, he claims all he's been offered now is a spot in a homeless shelter. It's the last thing Kevin Grant expected, to be forced out of Lionsgate Hospital in a wheelchair. Successful, been a carpenter, uh, Basically, uh, the last few years I've been a state supervisor, trying to get off the tools as I am getting a little older. Uh, but yeah, gainfully employed, and then I got a blister on my foot. He got infected. He's always had blood issues, and that blister got worse to the point they had to amputate a part of his right foot. But then he had a bad reaction to antibiotics, and his left foot got infected, and the result was worse. And then we amputated above the ankle, and then we amputated below the knee because with a prosthetic, trying to save the knee is very important. And that didn't work, so we amputated above the knee. So after all that at VGH and talking to GF Strong about being fitted with a prosthetic, at some point, he was told he had to first get stronger. I was told that I was being sent to Lionsgate for rehab, that I'd be for at least two months to get my prosthetic fit and regain my strength so I could get back out into the world. I get to Lionsgate and they say, no, we don't do rehab. After a month at Lionsgate, this morning he's told, Pack your bags, you're out at 10.30. He says he was told it wasn't the hospital's job to find you housing. They suggested an overnight shelter. I still got lots to give. I'm ready to work. I just need the tools to do it. And a leg is, is number one. Tonight his brother will carry him up the stairs of his house, where he can stay for now. It's been 18 months, nine surgeries. It's been a hell of a road. Until this, he had been living in an apartment that was wheelchair inaccessible. In a statement, Coastal Health says it works collaboratively with patients and their families to establish safe and appropriate discharge plans. And any allegations of insufficient care are investigated. Ted Chernock, Global News. 
Up ahead, a major fire shuts down Highway 97. The perfect fuel for stubborn flames next on the News Hour. And another agonizing wait for an ambulance. What the health minister says about it. Coming up. Some tense moments in the Okanagan after a huge fire at a lumber yard shut down Highway 97 and sparked concerns about brush fires in the surrounding area. The fire started just north of Vernon at Martin Lumber, right beside the highway. Witnesses say it began just after a train passed by, but there's no word on exactly what started it. Helicopters and air tankers dropped water and fire retardant and ground crews were also on site. There are no fire hydrants in the area, so crews were relying on water trucks the whole time. Strong winds also made things very difficult. But those are just different materials uh, burning up in the fire. I already lost my home in the Monte Lake fire, so I'm a little uneasy. Crews laid down fire retardant around the flames and eventually got things under control. Thankfully, there are no reports of injuries. Yet another ambulance horror story tonight, driving home the crisis in B.C.'s emergency health service. Yeah, a woman who was seriously injured in a car accident had to be taken to hospital by her own family after two hours passed without an ambulance. John Waugh reports. The sight and sound of the jaws of life ripping off the driver's side door. I heard a large bang and... You know, I thought, oh my goodness, what, what is that? Just confirmation of how serious this collision was. Airbags were deployed. It was just awful. Rajan Maria's car was T-boned at the intersection of 142nd Street and 109 Avenue in Surrey at about 8 o'clock Wednesday evening. Nearby residents, police and firefighters rushed in to help. When her husband, Varun, got the call, he was there in just minutes. She was crying and all. She was totally in shock, like what happened. First responders were clear. His wife shouldn't be moved until paramedics arrived. Still no ambulance and there's someone in that car. A firefighter held her head in place to secure her neck. Daylight faded as minutes, then hours went by. You see the firemen and police kind of almost with their hands tied, basically walking around waiting for an ambulance to show up. She had very bad headache at that moment and that that time she was just saying, just get me out of this car. I just want to sleep. By 10 p.m., two hours later, firefighters can be heard telling the family no ambulance is on its way and they'd be better off moving Rajan out of the vehicle and taking her to hospital themselves. It's a very scary scene for all of us because at that time we didn't know how bad the injuries were. Despite not having a neck brace or C-spine stabilization equipment, Firefighters carefully transferred Rajan Maria to a relative's vehicle. Her loved ones given a crash course on how to hopefully prevent further damage. It just felt like it was like, well, you either sit here and wait or, you know, you make this impossible decision. And it was just, it's heartbreaking. While BC's health minister said Wednesday had the third highest number of ambulance calls in the province's history, that's not an excuse for this lack of service. This is obviously not what we want to see happen. Very concerned about the results and the consequences for this family, with the stress involved, but also the physical pain involved in it. The 34-year-old wife and mother of two is now recovering at home. Her family thankful there was no permanent damage to her neck or spine. That was a super scary moment. I don't want to feel that again. 
after forcing this family to roll the dice with the health of their loved one. BC Emergency Health Services also failed to provide a timely response to our questions about how this could happen. John Hua, Global News. Charges are not being recommended in a horrific accident that killed a homeless man. It happened last Wednesday afternoon at an underground parkade near Gore Street and Union. Vancouver police say a 39-year-old homeless man had been using drugs in the lane, fell asleep in front of the parkade gate. Security video shows a vehicle attempting to enter the lot drive over the man who was lying flat on the ground. He was extricated from under the vehicle by firefighters and paramedics, but died in hospital. Our collision investigation unit has investigated this thoroughly uh, from the, the moment that it occurred. We've spoken to the driver. We've reviewed security video from in the lane. Um, we had an investigator actually get in the driver's vehicle and drive the same route and make that same turn. And it was determined from the position that the, the man was lying, as well as the, uh, the angle of the turn, he simply did not see the man lying on the ground. So it really is a tragic set of circumstances. It really does underscore the vulnerability of the homeless population and the population of drug users in the downtown east side. Up next, protecting BC's oldest trees. We're starting to see a change in public perception about what's important. A new poll shows how much of the public is on the side of the protesters. Also tonight, a spiritual experience for this group honoring the child victims of residential schools. How they say their ancestors paid a visit. Counterflow is out and traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Massey Tunnel. Keep in mind, though, during the overnight hours south of the tunnel, there are delays on Highway 99 between 80th Street and Ladner Trunk. Sussex Insurance are your auto insurance experts. Get more, save more with Stratford Private Auto. Ask for details on your next renewal. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. A new poll out today suggests most British Columbians are not happy with the way the NDP government is handling the issue of old growth logging. The survey suggests strong support for protecting the trees. But as Paul Johnson reports, industry maintains there's a lot of misinformation about what's actually happening in the forests. Thousand-year-old yellow cedars in the Ferry Creek watershed. Conservationists say globally there is less ancient forest like this than ever before. While most people probably won't cement their arms into logging roads to try and stop trees like this from being cut down, what does the rest of the province think about the issue? Forestry is actually one of the top issues in British Columbia next to COVID. Pollster Steve Mossop recently collaborated with the Sierra Club of BC to question more than 800 British Columbians. And the results, he says, appear quite unambiguous. And when we, when we informed people through the poll, we found that there was widespread opposition to the current practices of cutting the last remaining old growth in the province. The poll has 85% of respondents saying they support some kind of action for old growth forests. And only 16% think the NDP government is doing a good job on old growth and has followed through on its promises. People in this province, they love our forests. So I, I have to, you know, I know that uh, we are doing the work to make sure we're protecting them. Forests Minister Katrina Conroy reacted to the poll Thursday and said the government is still reviewing its old growth strategy 
with more deferrals of logging some areas due shortly. And a spokesperson for the industry trade group said the public should bear in mind that the majority of the province's remaining old growth, she says, is already protected. The very vast majority of old growth is already um, outside any area that will be harvested. While the planned logging of the Ferry Creek old growth is legal, permitted and supported by the local First Nation, the new poll raises questions about how much of the public may now be on the side of the protesters. Paul Johnson, Global News. As our climate changes, there is great concern for an increase in drought and wildfires around the world, and most notably for us in B.C., right here, too. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us to explain why there is concern, including this year, Christy. Well, Chris, science has proven that our planet is warming. The average global land temperature has increased by roughly one degree Celsius per century uh, since 1900. But according to the Pacific Climate Impact Consortium, our province is warming even faster at a rate of 1.4 degrees per century, above and beyond natural variability. And the majority of that warming has been in the winter months. The average increase from December through February is even higher, 2.2 degrees per century. So you can imagine this has had a huge impact on our winter snow particularly across southern regions and lower elevations where we tend to fluctuate around freezing the southern interior has seen an increase of 11 percent in the snow depth each decade since 1950 and the south coast six percent this is re resulting in less snow in the valley communities now experts at the bc river forecast center are noticing with less snow and spring-like conditions arriving sooner the mountain snowpack is melting earlier and snow is crucial for the summer months because it acts like a temporary storage by filling our reservoirs and our rivers and replenishing that soil moisture. Now, water utility companies in the interior are already concerned about drought for this year. The region has seen below average precipitation over the last few months and as of May 15th, 23% of the snowpack has already melted, slightly earlier than normal. So depending on how much rainfall we get in June, we could be in for another dry summer. And BC Wildfire Service is very concerned, not only for the upcoming season, but for the years to come. We're seeing climate change affect uh, us in two different ways. It's generating more severe weather events, long-term heat waves, uh, longer-term drought, and a longer fire season, you know, increasing the length of our fire season. We're also seeing a change in the fuels across British Columbia. Insects and diseases are able to, uh, you know, overwinter successfully, and we get uh, larger infestations of uh, beetles, uh, bigger uh, oak crops or outbreaks of uh, diseases, and that's affecting the fuel. So quite concerning, that's for sure. Chris, we'll be watching it in the next couple of months. For more on this climate change, I've actually written a report online, so you can go to our website for more information on this story. Lots to think about for sure. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, there's a renewed call today for greater protections for the many British Columbians with a hidden disability. As Kylie Stanton reports, those with learning disabilities say they're being left out simply because their condition is not as obvious. Suffix E-D. Flipping through flashcards, practicing new words. Digging. It may seem easy enough, 
But this is life-changing help that's incredibly hard to come by. These individuals have to keep proving over and over and over again um, that they need these accommodations. Now, once again, there are calls for greater protections for the many British Columbians living with a learning disability as the province continues its work on the new accessibility legislation. We really, really wanted to have the word learning included. There is precedent. Learning is listed as an impairment in the Federal Accessible Canada Act, under both the definition of barrier and disability. It gives me something to point to with an employer, with an educator, where I can say, no, no, the duty to accommodate disabilities does apply to me. Member for Surrey South, would you like to make a new motion? The opposition brought forward an amendment Wednesday to do the same with the provincial legislation. They feel very, very strongly that they are not uh, included. But it didn't pass. We have the legislation now, and it's broad, and it doesn't specifically exclude anyone. In fact, all of British Columbia, all abilities and all issues around access are addressed. The decision leaves the one in five British Columbians living with what they call an invisible disability, feeling that much more unseen. I don't know what the cost is to them, but it's become very clear um, that this is not something they're willing to do. And it has a huge impact. That includes everything from a child's self-esteem to parents' finances, as they dole out funds trying to access the help required, while many simply fall through the cracks. Advocates say it will only continue now that they've been excluded from what's intended to be an inclusive legislation. We really needed that language to be in there to have equitable access to resources within education, the workforce, and the community. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Still to come, falling down for a living. Drop it, bang! What's different about these actors trying to break into the movie business? And cooling down the Bloedel Conservatory, why a power outage put its inhabitants in danger. The fire department was called out to deal with a slight emergency at the Bloedel Conservatory in Queen Elizabeth Park. As a result of a power outage that started at 4 o'clock this morning, a ladder truck was brought in to spray down the dome in an effort to keep the more than 120 exotic birds inside cool on a hot day. The backup generator was turned on but only keeps fans running, not the chiller. About a dozen birds were put in a cooler room. A downed tree knocked out power to about a thousand customers in the Little Mountain area. Thankfully, power to the conservatory was restored later this afternoon. Wow, yeah, I bet, bet it was getting hot in there. All right, oh. Christy Gordon joins us now uh, once again with a look at the forecast. All good things have to come to an end at some point, Christy. <laughs> That's right, but I think a lot of people are um, happy to have some relief from the heat. We had 15 records broken yesterday. Some areas of the province reached uh, 36.5 degrees, and with the humidity, it was closer to that 40-degree mark. Now, uh, for Metro Vancouver at the airport yesterday, Humidex, 32. Today, 25. So not as bad. A little bit more comfortable, but still pretty hot out here. Here's a quick look at the records for today. Just two so far. Uh, Trail at 34.7 and Sparwood at 30.8. Now, all of this heat has 
prompted a number of warnings. The Stikine and the Skeena River um, basins are under flood warnings right now, particularly watching the Skeena and the Nass area where there is some flooding over roads there. Areas in orange are the flood watches, so watching those areas. And we have a number of high stream flow, ad- flow advisories, even across southern BC, the Fraser River. So that snowpack is really starting to melt in the higher elevation regions right now because of this heat. And now we've got rainfall on the way for the north coast, which will add to that moisture. So we'll be watching that area closely. Now for our region, showers for the Sunshine Coast, Vancouver Island, Howe Sound, but not quite for Metro Vancouver. We may see a shower or two along the mountains, but it's really not until Friday night and into Saturday that we're expecting moisture here. Nonetheless, we will see more cloud cover tomorrow. Majority of the rainfall across the north and central coast tomorrow. Showers for the central interior and caribou, a risk of thunderstorms there as well. More cloud cover across southern BC, but mostly dry except down into the Nanaimo area, as you can see there. So mostly dry tomorrow, but cloudier and cooler over the weekend. That's for sure from uh, 28 degrees yesterday to 15 degrees on Sunday, a massive swing in temperature. Your central windows weather window from tonight from the Couch and Valley area, beautiful vineyard there. And you can see the wispy clouds above the central windows. That's a serious cloud that is reflecting the sunlight. Hmm. Very cool, thanks Christy. In Alert Bay, an unexpected surprise at a drumming tribute to the children whose bodies were discovered at the site of a former residential school in Kamloops. A group of orcas repeatedly surfaced as the drumming, singing and praying continued. People there described the experience as an amazing and powerful sign that their ancestors were among them. Beautiful Beautiful. sight. All right, Squire is here now. What do you have for us, Squire? Well, when the NHL draft is held next month, Port Moody's Kent Johnson could, could possibly be around for the Canucks to take as their first round pick. Growing up here, I've been a fan my whole life, and, uh, you know, getting to play for the Canucks would be a dream come true. He had a great freshman season at the University of Michigan, and he is a top 10 talent. Also tonight, Indigenous acting students leaping into a new line of work to fill a glaring void in Hollywood. All right, one of the uh, most contentious hits in a long time almost broke Twitter overnight. (laughs) That's for sure. And the NHL has now given Winnipeg's Mark Scheifele a four-game suspension for his hit on Montreal's Jake Evans last night. Now, this suspension could be a seminal moment in NHL discipline because Shifley does not have a history of being a dirty player, and he's a star. He's the best player the Jets have. Four games in the playoffs is a huge suspension, but this is the way to discourage these types of incidents. That's what the NHL is thinking. It's a nasty hit. So just a warning, we are going to show it a couple of times. Now, Shifley told the NHL today he was trying to stop Evans from scoring in an empty net. But the NHL said Shifley is not going for the puck. It looks like he has conceded a goal and instead just wants to deliver a huge hit. It's the very definition of charging. But now it's Winnipeg that has taken a big hit. They need to force a game six to get Shifley back in their lineup. As for Evans, no word on when he'll be able to come back from a concussion. For every team... This year's NHL draft is going to be like an Easter egg hunt in the fog. The Ontario League, which a lot of the draftees usually come from, didn't play at all. The Western Hockey League, as we know, had a short season. So did the BCHL. 
But the NCAA down south did play, and the University of Michigan has three players who are considered top ten talents, and that includes former Trail Smoke Eater and Port Moody's own Kent Johnson. Looks like Michigan will be going on the power play. Johnson stick handling his way in. Oh, what a goal! Kent Johnson, how are you doing? Kent Johnson is one of those players who certainly gets your attention. He's got the dynamic stick skills that bring people out of their seats and makes him a top 10 pick in the NHL draft. Johnson delivered a stellar freshman season at Michigan, scoring nine goals and 27 points in 26 games, solidifying his spot as a high-end NHL prospect. I can just be a point producer at every level, and I think uh, you know I can translate to the NHL level too just with my IQ and my skills. So. Uh, that's, uh, that's what I'm going to try to do. Now Johnson plays it in for power. He's in, he scores! All in power! Johnson's Michigan Wolverines will be front and center on draft day. Two of his teammates are also ranked near the top. Defenseman Owen Power, who's been starring for Canada at the World Hockey Championships as an 18-year-old, is the consensus number one. And forward Maddie Beneers could be top five as well. Yeah, I don't think it really matters that they're draft eligible as much, but just two great players and great people to have around uh, was so nice. And, uh, you know, obviously a lot, of, a lot of great stuff that I can learn from them, you know, on the ice or off the ice or whatever. So uh, it was just so much fun to, you know, get to practice with those guys every day. And uh, like you said, I think one, two, three would be ideal. But, yeah, it's going to be an exciting day for all of us, and it'll be really cool to, to hear those guys' names picked too. Johnson figures to go anywhere from 6 to 10, which means he could be available when the Canucks pick at number 9. Obviously, you know, growing up here, I've been a fan my whole life, and, uh, you know, getting to play for the Canucks would be a dream come true. So, uh, yeah, you never know what happens on the day. I know, especially this year, uh, it's a big scramble, and who knows uh, where I'll end up. But, uh, yeah, definitely the Canucks are, are always somewhere I, I would have loved to play as a kid and still do. Johnson plans on returning to Michigan for a second season, hoping to get a full year of NCAA hockey this coming year. This summer, it's all about getting bigger and stronger to take that next step in his development. Continue to grow and, you know, develop my game and get better every day. Okay, it hasn't been a great World Hockey Championships for Canada because a lot of our players didn't go over. Andrew Mangiapane went over. They were playing Russia in the quarterfinals today. I think a lot of people thought Russia was going to win. But they didn't. Canada won. And how do they win? Adam Henrique on the power play there from Connor Brown. And in OT, Troy Stetcher. Richmond's Troy Stetcher, the former Canuck. Watch this play by Stetcher right here. Whoop. Oh, that's magic. He's got moves. Sets up Mangiapane. For the winner. So Canada will now play the U.S. in the semifinals on Saturday. Way to go. No, he's not. Red Wing. I know. I know. I know he should still be. Sorry. I know. Uh, Abbotsford's Nick Taylor is off to a good start at the Memorial. That's Jack Nicklaus's tournament. He's four under after his first round. Two behind clubhouse leader Colin Morikawa. Half the players though couldn't finish round one because of bad weather. They'll do that tomorrow. U.S. Women's Open is in San Francisco. And uh, let's watch Brooke Anderson here. This is on a par three, the eighth hole, about three feet away. She made the birdie. She's at three under right now, one back of the leaders. She does have three holes to play. Kelowna's Megan Oslin had a tough day shooting 90, and uh, she has withdrawn. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. Coming up next, lights, camera, action for Indigenous actors ready to make their mark in Hollywood North.
A group of local TV and film stunt actors are behind an initiative to get more Indigenous men and women into the business. Jay Durant shows us a mentorship program giving Indigenous actors their first taste of what it takes to make it in a challenging but very rewarding industry. Drop it! Drop it! It looks like a fantasy camp for thrill seekers, but this is highly skilled training from some of the best in the business. They're hoping that this is a starting point for new careers to take off. For indigenous people, there's there's a lot. There's a, there's so much opportunity for us here. So you want to get get it down in here. These instructors are helping to push for more change in the TV and film industry. For decades, a lot of the Caucasian males specifically, we've been painted up and we've been put out onto the horses and onto the fields and into the Hollywood, I guess you could say, um, playing indigenous performers, which just isn't right. Right. Hollywood North is a hot spot for productions that are heavy on the fight scenes. That's a big part of the training here for these students, but it's the wire work that's had the biggest impact. I haven't really done the being pulled through the air thing, so that's pretty exciting. A little bit of adrenaline there. This is the first step. There's a lot of work ahead, and it won't be easy. Uh, I'd say less than one in a hundred people who try out for it make it. But thanks to programs like this, more doors are being kicked open. What's better than watching an awesome action movie is being in an awesome action movie. So I told my kids, I promised them, I said, I I told them one day your dad's going to be in a Marvel movie and I still stand by that. One day it's going to happen. Jay Durant, Global News. It looks so fun. Round of applause. We need a wire harness in here. That'd be a good time. (laughs) All right, quick word on the weather, Christy. Sure, not nearly as hot tomorrow. We are going to remain mostly dry, but we'll certainly see more cloud cover. We just have a very slight chance of showers. All right, thanks very much, Christy, and thank you for watching. Have a great night, everybody. Good night, all.